Welcome to Walking After Foo, the album-by-album discussion podcast of all things Foo Fighters. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Williamson. Welcome to the first show. This is going to be a really great series. I'm really excited to start this and do this with my other two co-hosts, Peter Kenigsberg and Marissa Monti. Guys, hello there. Hello. Welcome to the show. And uh, who's excited to talk about Foo Fighters? All day, every day. All the time. So excited. <laughs> and this, this is into the lead up to the 10th album, Minnesota at Midnight. It was just announced a week ago. Uh, and I'm really excited to re-listen to all of their albums and all of their music and talk about them with two of my favorite people. Leading up to the release of Medicine at Midnight, February 5th, 2021, we will re-listen to every album already in the discography talk about it once we get to album number 10 medicine and midnight we will sit down together we will listen to it track by track talk about it our thoughts and just along the way celebrate the band that we enjoy so much so much the band that we've all seen live together on several occasions yes Foo fighters um we'll have some guests yeah. we yes exactly we're gonna we'll, exactly. we'll bring in some of our some of our friends maybe some people that uh so definitely fans and super fans for sure, but you know, people that who want to talk about this band and what it means to them. That's right. mean a lot to me. So I'm very excited to, to talk about these songs. Well, maybe that's a good place to start because I think it would be cool for people to know how we got introduced to Foo Fighters. Mm. Sure. Yeah. So Andrew, I think you should begin because you are our central kind of figure here on this. <laughs> It's nice to know that I got the, the role of figurehead, but <laughs> I, I said um, cent- central figure, <laughs> not figure. central figurehead. It's all the same. Uh, my, I, so I, uh, my appreciation for the Foo Fighters started in, I guess, high school. I think in your honor had just come out. I, one of my friends showed me best of you and DOA. And I went back and started listening to, the greatest, some of the songs that were on the greatest hits, it came out in the iTunes world and I didn't want to buy singles and they didn't have a greatest hits at the time. So I bought four of their CDs and just really like dove in. So I started off my appreciation of the Foo Fighters with In Your Honor, Color and the Shape and this album that we're going to talk about today, the first, uh, first record and I loved it because I was a big Nirvana fan and it sounded a lot like them and it took me a couple of listens to realize that hey these drums sound really similar and the sound is really similar Uh, and then I looked it up and I was like oh that's that makes sense it's it's the next step for that guy who was the drummer of Nirvana (laughs) exactly Marissa what about you where was your first Foo Fighters experience I feel like I I don't know it's like one of those bands that like you they were just like always there for me in some ways. Like I think in, I feel like eighth grade, seventh grade, like I definitely knew like, you know, um, like the singles, right? Like Monkey Wrench and like all the songs off of um, the second album. And, but then I remember (laughs) watching, uh, I guess like in high school, it would have been like watching Fuse TV. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. And I just remember like the music video for like, 
doa and like pretender and like i was like oh this 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 rips you know like i'm so angry <laughs> this is great teenage you know it was, it was just everything and i needed and it was like the music videos are always awesome you know so i again like it was just you know like the songs was always there but then i feel like i didn't really dive really deep into them until college and meeting you guys <laughs> um <laughs> and meeting andrew and and just you know becoming way more familiar with their stuff and then I also feel like when you finally see Foo Fighters live, it's just, you know, it's like you're reminded of all the songs that, like, maybe you've forgotten about. Or there's, just, there's just so many. And it's like, when I saw them live for the first time, it was, it was like every song. I was like, oh, right, this song. And, like, you know, it just makes you feel amazing, like, because mm -hmm. all their stuff is so good. And to hear all that live is just an awesome experience. So, uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't pinpoint the first time I actually ever like listened to a Foo Fighters song, but I definitely feel like they're a band that's always been there for me. And they're a band that I was a fan of in high school that I'm not embarrassed about. Like, I feel like it's always a solid choice. You're like, yeah, I've been a Foo Fighter. Not like these other like early 2000s bands that I listened to. Like, <laughs> you know, like... Foo Fighters is a is a is a good is a good solid. solid they stayed as opposed to things like uh, yeah. like My Chem or right. even earlier. Right, like, they aged. Uh, they they aged better than Bowling well, for Soup did. And I don't know, true, but I also <laughs> yeah. don't know if it's like if if they were just always kind of ahead of their time or like always contemporary in some ways, and like so that's why like they kind of just stand the test of time. You know? mm -hmm. So without uh, question, yes, that's my that's my take on it. Peter, what about you? Marissa kind of stole my take. I mean, that's oh, sorry. <laughs> no, don't be. Don't be. That's good. We both have some more perspectives. I will specify this way. I st was kind of raised on top 40 to begin with, top 40 radio. And so when Learn to Fly and Everlong were the big tracks on, on radio, that was my immersion, not really knowing it was Foo Fighters, but just knowing that that was the music I gravitated towards because I grew up in a house that generally preferred rock over other genres. But then when I got into college, like Marissa said, WHRW, where we mm -hmm. all met, I believe it was Black Nines, where Wasting Light was categorized. Yes. Mm -hmm. Blue Eights. It was, was it Blue Eights? Blue Eights. For all those, of their stuff's was... in the Blue Eights. For I those who do not understand there. a word of what we're talking about, Blue Eights <laughs> represented more pop-oriented albums. It's okay. Black we all Nines know that rock-oriented albums. This podcast is specifically for members of or alumni of whrw so thank true. you we will accept we do have a patreon so send that money over <laughs> we do i guess <laughs> but yes that, <laughs> no we're keeping that <laughs> <laughs> but that that was where i put face to music and name to music and saying okay this is the band responsible for all that great music that came before and because it's like Marissa said an unmistakable sound it's so obviously Dave Grohl. It's so obviously Foo Fighters. And as time has gone on, they've taken on this really nice role of being the elder statesman of rock. I think that's how Rolling Stone defined them. And they do it really well. They understand the history. They're really big music nerds in a great way. And they just put on an amazing show. Every single time I've seen them, I've never dis been disappointed. Yeah, and and so, we're going to definitely yeah. talk about their live shows and how they've evolved as we go through this because you can't separate... I mean, like in a time of COVID, it is tough, but you can't, it's so difficult to separate Foo Fighters studio stuff and then their live shows are just a whole other ball game. So 
I, 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 we're going to talk about that as we go through this for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We are ready now for our first segment in this series. We are talking about 1995's Foo Fighters. The very, very beginning. We start at one because that is the best place to begin with the record that started with one person. You know, Dave Grohl is the lead singer, but he is also the founder of the band that we all are talking about. And why don't we dive in a little bit to what we love about this record? Andrew, let's, let's, yeah. let's go back to you. What, what about this record strikes you? So, so this was, so one of the first records I listened to, uh, this one is, what's, I mean, what's, what is great about it is, yes, it starts with, with Dave Grohl, not that it's just about him now, but this record is definitely about Dave Grohl. It is six months after the end of Nirvana, he goes into a studio to record a handful of tracks that he had been sitting on for a while and just bangs out song after song. And there's definitely an alternative grungy Nirvana-y, someone had said, feel to them. But they're definitely, like, there's so much more pop. There's so much more... So they're not rounder around the edges, but easier to, to gain into. Even the heavy songs like, like Weenie Beanie or, uh, you know, Ecstatic or Watershed. Like, even though it's like, oh, this is a rocker, but I don't feel like I'm, I, like, I, like, just because I don't listen to tons of rock, I can't listen to this or something. Uh, this was definitely one of the records that I gravitated towards because in high school when I started listening to it, I was already listening to Nirvana. I was already listening to In Utero and Nevermind and so and all the other grunge stuff from like the early 90s. So this kind of fit in better than the other Foo Fighters stuff did. I didn't really get into the other stuff until a little later. So Marissa, um, based on what Andrew said, because Andrew's experience is interesting. Andrew nearly chronologically was keeping up with the Foo Fighters. I mean, as best you could, you know, the Foo Fighters. I mean, they'd already been around for 10 years, but yeah, I I was listening in the order. Right. (laughs) As opposed to Marissa and I, or I mean, I'm going to speak for Marissa, but you know, if I'm wrong, please correct me, where we got more accustomed to the rate, the top charting radio singles, started listening to more modern-esque stuff, and then worked our way backwards to, you know, the beginning of the discography. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm curious from Marissa's point of view, what was it like listening to this record now, knowing kind of where you started with the Foo Fighters and, and your opinion of the Foo Fighters now? I would agree with you, Peter. So All right. no worries Good. about speaking for me. Um, no, but I think it's true. Like, um, I'm kind of mad that I didn't start from the beginning. Like, I, like the timing was off for me and I'm, I'm angry about it. But um, no, I definitely think, uh, I don't know, kind of starting from like their later stuff and then working your way back. It's been interesting um, because it's like you get to kind of see, and I don't know if maybe it's like a, you know, like a hindsight kind of thing, but you kind of get to see like, okay, like listening to the first album, there's, there's songs like Andrew said that just sound very nirvana-y and i literally put nirvana-y in my notes like that's how there's no other way to describe them like the proper adjective yeah and and like if it's just like if they were you know in a lower register or something you could just picture kurt like singing himself like that's you know there's songs like that for sure but then there's other songs like i put good grief like reminds me it's just it's very food more food it's more food like you can hear foo fighters in that and like how that thread just constantly go like it just it and like 
So looking at it from the later stuff and working your way back, it's like you get to appreciate, I think, in a, in a, in a different way how those sounds have been consistent and you can kind of pinpoint oh oh, okay like this is where they were going and like this is where that started and um you know so i think it's been it's been a lot of fun i mean you know once you get i I, you know like okay fine i didn't get to listen to the first one in order you know i gotta get over that you know but um (laughs) but i was you know because i mean i think the, the the only song i ever i knew for a long time off this album was big me right like right. that was a single mm-hmm. and everyone knew that song and the silly um music music video that went along with it which is yeah. like classic with the, with the, with the mentos <laughs> right yeah <laughs> again music videos have always been like on point um but yeah i mean i definitely think it adds i think to to my experience because it's more of a not of a game, but like it just it just makes me appreciate it more because like I'll listen to songs. I'm like, oh, okay, like I know where he's getting this from. I'm like, oh, like okay, like I hear this sound in like you know a later song, maybe a few album. It's just a few albums down the road from now, and it's like you just get to kind of see their growth, you know. So I don't know. I enjoy it now. <laughs> I, I I love this record. I mean, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I was so quick years ago to just put this in the middle of the pack toward the bottom of the pack Mm. in terms of ranking the discography just kind of taking it for granted in a sense because you think as a less knowledgeable Foo Fighters fan it's only Dave Grohl how much better could it be than what has been put out you know with a full band with you know as in in Dave Grohl's words poaching these other groups kind of creating a super group-esque kind of thing you know over the years but it, it stands up. I mean, yeah. they play a lot of these songs at their shows. You know, This Is A Call gets played a lot. Big Me, like you mentioned, gets played a lot. You know, it's, it, it appears in a lot of different sets. I think the first time I saw them was with you, Andrew, 2015, yeah. City Field. Mm-hmm. Royal Blood opened, which was a yes. great show. Still one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. And that was a very good show. Dave Grohl was... Yeah, that was, it was the Broken Leg Tour. The Broken Leg but, Tour. Yes, but he did do... I, that was the first time that I saw them do This Is A Call, and I lost my mind. It was, that it was, was so good. That song was, ver- was for a very long time in my iTunes, like, top 10 most played songs. Like, the number of times I'd listened to that song. That, that was one of my, probably my favorite song in high school. So that one's a great... And they do play Big Me. You know, that one gets played regularly. When we last saw them, uh, Cal Jam 2018, they played For All the Cows. A hilarious song. (laughs) Very funny song. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's that's, that's one of my highlights, too, because that shows his humor. You know, at at a very weird time, and this actually is a great segue to one question I wanted to ask you both. Um, Considering the timeline of when this record was made, I wrote down the dates so I got them right, and I just want to read them to you in chronological order. April 8th, 1994, Kurt Cobain takes his own life. Horrible thing that happened. Shook everyone of that generation, Dave Grohl especially, Kurt Novoselic especially. But four months later, or sorry, six months later, October 1994, he goes into the studio to record this album we're talking about, July 4th, 1995, the album is officially released under, you know, Roswell. Now, my question to you guys is, if you're in the time period, if you're sitting there in 94, 95, and you were maybe a fan of Nirvana, maybe not, but everyone who loved music knew the news of what happened. Does this bother you? Does this timing bother you that here was a tragedy and 
so less, not less than a year, but less than, you know, 18 months after someone that iconic passes away, here's your bandmate coming out with his own record under his own name. What do you think? What would you think about that in the moment? Probably not bothered that it is there, but I'm definitely scouring the lyrics thinking that every song is about Kurt Cobain. That's mm-hmm. probably my thought of, as a fan, I'm probably just like, I'm happy there's more music. Hey, that drummer is actually a pretty good singer. That's probably the second thought. <laughs> third thought is like, so is that song about Kurt? Mm-hmm. That song about Kurt. That's probably my thought. If I'm going, if I'm, if I'm in 1995. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things that, I mean, people are still trying to understand. Like, I think, so maybe looking at the album for like, you know, not answers, but just kind of like, what, what does Dave think happened or yeah. like why? Right. And I also think it's interesting because he has never, I don't think, has he ever commented? I mean, I've never seen him comment on it, anything that related to Kurt's no, death. I don't think he, I and don't I, think he touches it. Yeah. And I he think, tries not to. Right. And I, and I think that, um, the thing that really kind of sits with me when I think about it the most is, um, just like the power of, of, of music for him in that way that he, he, he wasn't like publicly a part of any discussion, but instead his answer to deal with it was to sit down and just write. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I think that's something really beautiful about that. Um, and like the whole album in a way, you know, you don't know. I mean, I guess we won't know, like we would never know like what songs were coming out of, of, of him dealing with, with that versus like other songs that he already had kind of just, you know, lying around, you know, right. his own stuff. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of the part I think that sits with me the most. And I think that's why I, on a certain level, I kind of appreciate it a lot in a, in a different way for that reason, you know, because um, I mean, how cool is that, that you were able to kind of work through some stuff, writing the music, putting a whole album together on your own. Like I just yeah. picture like laying down like multiple tracks by yourself. <laughs> like it's craziness, you know, like. <laughs> it's almost overwhelming. I mean, it's yeah. just you. You're so used right. to being in a band. That, that's how you started. And yeah. now it's just you. It's a lonely experience. It's just, just him and, a, and like his friend just, Okay, I'm gonna lay down. I'm gonna lay down a drum track. Okay, great. Do you want to like take a? Do you want to take like a break? You want to? No, no, I'm gonna lay down a bass track. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. a cathartic way of going through it. Like, mm-hmm. right. Instead of taking the time where you know typically a band takes their time and goes through the thing, like to not have to sit on the emotion of like I'm going into a studio again for the first time and he's not here to be able to be like, no, I'm just going in. I'm just gonna do it. It's like, okay, we're gonna do some drums. Okay, great. Uh, do you want to take a break? Do you want to like have some coffee? No, I'm going to just, I'm going to lay down another guitar track. Okay, great. You want another, uh, yeah, another guitar track. All right. You, any, you need anybody else? Do you want like somebody else? No, like, do you need good. a bassist? No, I'm good. I'm fine. Look, there's something that's... about that that like I, I admire in a way. I mean, like, I don't know. Like I wish, I wish I could, I, you know, like when I, like, when I'm working through stuff, I could be that like in the zone Productive. just to, like, yeah, well, well, you know, and like, it's it obviously, you know, I think for some people it definitely helps, you know, and I don't know, like, I just, it's a really good album and it's kind of, it's kind of crazy like that that's partially, you know, one of the reasons it came about, you know, so. It's definitely one of the best records that's been recorded by one person as a demo. 
the closest <laughs> I could the, the closest I could think of like fully only touched by one person cranking out hits mm-hmm. is maybe McCartney doing the first McCartney record is like the closest McCartney. I can think to like somebody who just like, now nah, I'm just going to record it myself. Really? Like, but you're not really known for that thing. Do you want like the best musician? We can get you the best musician. No, nah, I'm fine. I got it. <laughs> you don't get that. You don't get that sort of like Pete town. That's why Pete Townsend had the who, right? Cause he couldn't do it by himself. Mm. He couldn't, he couldn't Keith moon it. He need, but like, yeah. he could. So <laughs> but isn't that interesting? It's not exactly the same cause to the effect of how both Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl went from big group to solo record. But in essence, one major life event happened that was negative in its moment. And ended the band they were in. Ended the band they were in, but turned into basically the continuation of their careers musically. Yeah. And the continuation of their sound sonically. So let's talk about that, their sonic sound. So, yeah. Andrew, yeah. what is it in this record? Because Marissa and I, I think, both hinted at it. This feels like a Foo Fighters record because this, we can draw so many parallels between this and what they do. Yes. Why is that? What is it about it? I think it's because it's who, he, it's who Dave is and who he was. He was 24, 25 when, this rec, when he was recording this, right? So you think about this, you're 20, you're a 20 something like we are, and you just came off. Do you've been doing this thing for a while. You've been, you were touring in a punk band. Then you joined the biggest punk band in the world, playing with a bunch of other punk bands. And now you're like, okay, well, my career just like stopped for a bit. It's also my art and my way of expressing myself. Well, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to make some more punk songs. Like it, it sounds similar because it's who he is on like in his core and like who they were. So it sounds similar. And part of that is also having been with Kurt and learning like how he writes and playing with him. A bunch of these songs, mo- most of these songs were written before he died. So things like Alone and Easy Target, there's a demo out there from like 91 or 92. He showed like that was a like, some of these songs Nirvana did during sound checks. So they sound similar. And like to Marissa's point earlier of, oh, this song could easily have been a Nirvana song if you could imagine Kurt singing it. Because maybe like there's a universe, there's a different dimension where he didn't die <laughs> and it made it onto the fort. And like four of these songs, or maybe just two, you know, try to think George Harrison to the Beatles-esque, where like, there's a couple of Dave Grohl songs on the next Nirvana record. So like, that's why they that's why I think they sound so similar is because they were kind of workshopped in the same world and the same universe of, you know, this Nirvana grunge era. Uh, it's recorded in the studio that they did their last session in as well. So it has, wow. there's some Sonic stuff that you might capture, uh, you know, if you're like really like a sound guy, but uh, recorded in the same studio that uh, a later song, Subterranean, was recorded in from Sonic Highways. Which we will get to. Yeah, but before before we like go too deep down that part, I I just want to think like you started off and you you tell right from the get-go 
what this project is all about, whether it's stuck around. I mean, it did, but he didn't know that, but it gets right to the core of like with this is a call of this is a pop song that has distortion and loud drums. Like that really sets you up of like, that's like the perfect, like this song kind of encapsulates the rest of the record of, and, and the lyrics are, are just like a thank you, like a thank you note to all the, like all these people who, you know, are, you know, helped make this in one way or another, or who were involved. It's like, thank you, all of you people. I'm going to do this thing. And if it bombs, it bombs, but I did it. And I could say I did it. And then I could do something else. He almost anticipated it bombing. He called it Foo Fighters. And he said, if I knew this was a real thing, I wouldn't have called it that. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to know what he would have called it if he thought it was, if, if he thought that he was going to be doing it 25 years later. I would love to know too. Do we have any guesses? I don't even have a guess no, as to what it could a, be. I probably would have been a worse name than Foo Fighters, to be honest. <laughs> well, he's given, him, he's, given, he's given them a name, which I won't mention for some secret shows, which yes. we can get into later. Um, I have a question specifically for Marissa, because I know we've had conversations about this. Um, we have talked about when things start to turn really pop in popular music, we talk about, well, what happened to the rock music? Where is the appreciation for that? Why can't there be more of that in our mainstream? And what's interesting is that, in a way, maybe this is how it's always been. So I looked at the Billboard Hot 100 for 1995, 94-95, and the first rock-oriented track, you could argue it is, is Blues Blues Traveler's Runaround at number 14. (laughs) If you, don't, if you don't want to consider that a rock, rock track, Bon Jovi is number 17. I would but, consider him in the same world as the Blues Traveler, but continue. Fair, fair. <laughs> continue. But, but 13 to 1 is hip-hop, pop, and R&B. Hmm. But that same year, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill won the album of the year at the Grammys, and her touring drummer was Taylor Hawkins, which is a cool thing to think, but that's... Well, we'll question, talk about him. We'll talk about him in the next. Uh, this isn't. This isn't about Taylor Hawkins right now. No, no, we're not Foo yet. Not, not yet. yet. We're just not talking yet. about Foo Fighters. So, but my question to you, Marissa, is that pop seems to be a big pop, hip hop, and R&B seems to be big in people's minds right now, but rock is staying in some fashion. Wouldn't I mean Dave Grohl seems like a smart business guy in addition to being a smart music guy. He must know this, but he is sticking to his roots. I mean, if you were there with him in the room saying like, if you're going to reinvent yourself, if you're going to do something different, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? I mean, I'm looking at the charts. I'm looking at the sales. It's going in this direction. You sure you want to stick in this direction? Like, mm. like what, would you, what would you tell him to do? And if, you're, if you would have told him to stay in rock, I mean, what, what reason would you have given him? Like, well, why would you say, yeah, stick with rock? It seems to be like, it's not the thing everyone's listening to. Blues Travelers is, is advocating for rock, it seems like, in 95. How on earth can he know that rock is like going to have more of a presence in future years? How does he, how does he know that from where he is in 95? What's he well, doing? first, I'd just be like, wow, why is Dave Grohl coming to me? Is this a wise sage? <laughs> Let's say you are that wise sage. You Turn are- around and run, sir. Um, <laughs> no, no. He, but I also he think to Andrew's 
and Andrew kind of touched on it before, like, I, and I think we've, and we've been talking about it. Like, I don't think he, he didn't have any plan. I don't think there wasn't really a plan for this <clears throat> first album. Right. It was more of like, I'm just doing this for me and this is my sound. And if people like it, fine, but it wasn't the point of it. I don't think really was, um, you know, I guess I would wonder like really how much, of of the goal was it to be like commercially viable right like i don't know because i mean he was i know that he was um you know passing it around like anonymously like it was more of like this kind of underground thing that he was working on like a project you know but i don't i don't know really what the what what the ultimate goal was but you know i think it it depends i mean like i the fact is that like the foo fighters i think is and we kind of touched on it before is like, they're like one of the very few bands I feel like that have been consistent since they've entered the scene. Um, and, you know, I think Dave and all of them in their songwriting, I think they just had this ability to kind of find that balance of, you know, that pop commercial, like this is gonna, you know, people are gonna wanna listen to this, but also we're staying true to what our sound is and like not everyone could do that right i mean i think that's unfortunately any artist any artist any medium any artist right has to struggle with that like (laughs) this is my livelihood it's also my art and and finding that balance of expressing myself while also doing it in a way that people are going to want to consume right so um you know i think I think Dave and all of them, they have this amazing talent and creativity where they can do that effectively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I don't know if I was in the room and there was <laughs> advice I needed to give, I'd be like, yeah, go for it because you're probably one of the few people who actually pull it off, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Um, but I think there's always been you know, rock is always, you know, I just, I, I feel like rock will live forever. Um, it's, it's, it speaks to a certain mood that other genres don't. And I think that mood exists I mean, every mood. I mean, like we're humans and we have all these, all these things that we experience, right. And there's a song for every mood. Um, there's a genre for every mood. And I think that's never going to change. I just think it's a matter of, you know, as an artist finding creative ways to just stay um, relevant you know, and the food fighters have been able to do that. And kind of taking the rules into his own hands and saying, it doesn't have to just be me. It doesn't have to be post Nirvana. It can be what I want it to be. I can, I can take Taylor. I can take Pat. I can take a couple of other guys and, and make the records that I want to make. And still though, being very smart to realize this has to play commercially. And if I were in the room, that'd be the only advice I give him is like, make sure this can sell. Make sure it can sell at least. Make sure it can sell, because I want to uh, make a record with Diddy, but that's just me. <laughs> wait, wait, what'd you it, say? You would have told I, him to make a record. <laughs> I would have told him to make a record well, with Diddy, and well. it would have bombed. And it and he would have and he would have and he would have been like he would have been working at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> nice. But what? But what a a hobby he would have. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what a actually, talent. On your on on your concept of like oh like why do rock music or you know why not reinvent yourself? He did. They did put out the Foo Fighters put out a like a YouTube clip 
of that of like they're taking a break and people were like oh are they breaking up is this is this the end of Foo Fighters is he doing is he gonna go solo now and they like showed like Dave like oh I'm gonna be like a pop solo person it's him behind like a Casio keyboard you know pressing like beats and just like it's so dumb and so stupid it makes fun of like makes fun of all that and then they are they're cer- and then the rest of the Foo Fighters are just searching for a new lead singer for Foo Fighters it's such a silly concept <laughs> partially because it's like you know you can't have one without the other but also like he like he's not going to do he's gonna do what he does mm-hmm. I would love to hear op- our opinions on all the tracks on this yes. record let's do it so Kind of started off a little bit before track one. This is a call. This is definitely like this starts off as like here we are. Like this is the new. This is Foo Fighters. It's rock, but it's pop and it's fun and it could be on the radio. (laughs) I don't know. That was my like my the thing i wrote down because i i before this i just i kind of wanted to to listen and 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 kind of capture the uh my reactions specifically for this discussion because i knew it would come up um all i wrote is nirvana drums (laughs) so accurate well i I mean accurate it is technically (laughs) accurate yes but like just the idea that it's the same style feels the, same. the same feel right it's the yeah. same don't don't feel like he oh he's not trying something crazy different this is right this is still this the is, same it's him and everything around him is just a little yeah different and and i think it's kind of cool because like he took like this i mean the drums in nirvana are like this it's just i don't know it's like a it's one of those sounds like you just know you know yeah. <laughs> like so it's like something so iconic and then kind of a sound that people have like grown accustomed to to knowing um it's an know. easy transition and then he just yep. kind of took it and like evolved it and i yeah. and so it's like yeah it's a pop song but like you know like it's the same <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good starting point because you immediately identify with what it is if you mm-hmm. just if you pick this up on the street this cassette you you don't know who it came from it just said foo fighters you pu- plug it in and be like wait a minute that sounds a lot like nirvana it's a very nirvana kind of kind of sound it's like right. just different enough to not be annoyed at it yes that's why nirvana drums may per- makes perfect sense because if you are just handed this without any context yeah. that's what jumps off the page and i think that makes sense going into the next song i'll stick around too because the you know it starts off with that Kind of like smells like Teen Spirit, you know, riff. So it's just like drums into riff, and then the choruses are very like soft and like flowy, tropical. New. Yeah, and so you get that, and then it, but then it cut, but then it immediately cuts to like the heavy guitar sounds. And then him screaming. I think it's like, well, no, he's, he does scream in This Is A Call, but it's one of the first like real heavy screams that he gives in. I couldn't hear it another way outside of like, this is a call. And then like, you get that like very nirvana It continues the Nirvana-iness. It's, it's, immediate, yeah. it's immediate like high energy. You're just kind of hit by a yeah. strong headwind with tracks one and two, basically. Yeah, it's a one-two punch. And then it slows down significantly for track three, Big Me. I got to be honest, I laughed. I laughed because I knew it was coming. I, I, cause I, 
you know, I'm listening on Apple Music, so I know what track three is. But I had to laugh because that is the most unrealistic like transition, just headspace wise and acu- and just and just sonically <laughs> of just I've just had like you know the skin ripped off from I'll stick around and then all right we're gonna dial it back so like I'm gonna take it from eleven to like a seven just so we can get back in order here <laughs> right before we head into the next one but just focusing on Big Me. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I remember going back to our, the 2015 show that Andrew and I saw, I remember Dave Grohl saying he played that song as an ode to his, uh, his, like, his roadies, his team, kind of thanking them for basically putting up with him. They, they, played, like, they showed montages of him in the hospital getting his leg fixed up, saying, like, thank you for putting up with me and everything. Wow. <laughs> and all amazing. of this. Such nonsense. a great it's such a great it's like oh this and this it's such like a this is the pop song this is like if you were looking for the single like hey like somebody's looking for a single to put out on the radio here you go here it is yeah you could like here here's a pop rock band here's the single if you want to like actually rock out here's another 11 songs to go with (laughs) right right exactly exactly well there's actually because the next song the next well song. Yes. there's a couple of softies but, yeah, yes, yeah. but the next song immediately goes even harder than i'll stick around and this might be my favorite i, think I was gonna really say favorite. i think this is my favorite too really alone yes. in the easy target is your favorite mm-hmm. you know why because the second i heard this i said there's nirvana you you go from nirvana e nirvana-esque not nirvana that's nirvana <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know and it's like I said before, this is, this is one of the songs that he had shown Kurt that yes. could have been on a Nirvana. Like this, this one could have been up there with oh, some, one of the other songs that are like on the, uh, you know, the, with the Lights Out box set or whatever. This could right. have easily been up there with like the In Utero, like the In Utero sequel. Marissa, what did you love about this one? I mean, that's kind of, I think you hit it on the, on the head there, but I think, you know, because it was a familiar sound and... Um, you know, after Big Me, it's like you're, you know, I just think it's interesting because it's like, I feel like with Big Me, it was, it was like trying to differentiate the band, obviously. I mean, like, I think, you know, obviously the album coming after everything that happened with Nirvana, I think there's this anticipation of like, oh, it's like, you know, more, more familiar sound, like this is comforting, right? It's like more of the sound you, you love, but then it's also like, here's Big Me. And I just always think of like the music video to it. And I'm like, here's a band that's not taking themselves seriously at all, as opposed to Nirvana, which like was a very serious, I mean, like it was serious. It was. They, the lyrics they were very serious. Everything the was sound serious. was serious. Yeah. You and know? this is a band that's willing to, to not fun at itself. Right. Um, yeah. So From I the think, beginning. Exactly. And I think that that's also like having, having big me like songs like big me kind of woven it like in between like <laughs> and like put it before like a you know alone an easy target you're like oh okay like we're just doing what we want to do here cool you know um but i think you know for me i i like the song um the most i think just because it is a familiar sound and um i don't know i just i just like angsty dave grohl you know <laughs> i can't help it so <laughs> I think the next song is my favorite, though, to be honest. Of, of the songs that are on here, uh, Good Grief is definitely one of my favorites. Because uh, you, you come off of what are very clearly four hits. Yep. All, all four of those songs in one way or another, whether it's like, ra- like pop radio or rock radio, those yep. are all hits. Those could have been on 
like a K rock in 95 or 96. Good grief probably wasn't, but that song like immediately get is like, it starts off with that like intense drum beat. You're like, Oh yeah, no, this is Foo Fighters. Like this is the, of all the songs on, of their records that I would like to hear live. I want to hear good grief live. Mm. That song is, it's, you know, the chorus is just him screaming. Right. So, well, yeah, no, honestly, that would be probably the most fun you would see them have on stage if they play that live. Why? I'm not sure why they did, why they don't. I don't know. know. I don't know. Also fun thing. I was looking at it and I think he must've, I'm sure he talked about it on a thing. You look at the lyrics, it kind of sound, it, it looks like, it's him talking about how he thinks he's going to get kicked out of Nirvana. Oh, okay. Interesting. You, the things, some of the things. So if you look at the lyrics, uh, no, you know, like it's, you know, it's, he's kind of like, Oh, like he's like the fifth or sixth drummer of Nirvana is like at any point, he's kind of like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get kicked out. Like there's this feeling, the feeling of being ousted comes and goes. Hmm. That's the lyric. That's what it is though. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting message, at least, you know, in terms of the title track for the next one, Floaty, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about Floaty for a minute. <laughs> Let's talk about Floaty. So you do come off of, you know, this is now you're on a, like two heavy hitters and then a, like a soft and then you get a heavy hitter, then you get two heavy hitters again. And then this has a weird vibe, like that stop, starts off, you're like, oh, we're going to have another soft song. And then it's noise. I think honestly, when Dave Grohl, I think this is the the song that when Dave Grohl says, I wasn't very serious when I was making this, though, you know, like it was more therapeutic than it was, you know, commercial, commercially viable. Floaty defines that. It's like, okay, I'm playing around a little bit. I'm in the studio by myself, just messing around. He honestly may, it may be late at night. He may be getting extremely like, you know, tired and a little little you know punchy and it's just he puts out floating and it's like that's that's the the mindset i imagine he's in is just this kind of you know for lack of a better word floaty mindset where he's just you know just kind of feeling the music a little bit taking it whatever direction he feels he wants to take it and that's the direction it's gonna go ironically it goes to weedy beanie (laughs) before we do that though just one thought for you before that just like one you like the song, right? Like yes. it's, yeah. Yeah, of course. But something to think about, it's released on cassette initially, right? It's 12 songs. Floaty. Gotta flip it. Yeah. Ends the side. How does that, you, so you've got, so you're listening to this, <laughs> right? You're listening to this cassette or vinyl, that, which is what we would have now if we wanted to listen to sides. You're listening to, you've got all of these hits and then you have Floaty. <laughs> and then you're like, that's, you're like, like that's, what the hell that's was a? that? That's it. <laughs> All right. That's weird. Okay. Let's flip the side on this. And then Weenie Beanie is just like the most bizarre. It's like, okay, we got a whole new band here. We've got a whole new what side is this? to traverse. <laughs> this whole other side that we need to deal with. Versa, I, you feel, got- I do feel like Floaty and Weenie Beanie do like make a sense in, in like a very crazy way. Well, when you put it together, not flipping from side A to side B. Marissa, yes. what, did, what did you think of Weenie Beanie? I mean, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's your punk angst right there. Just- I mean, it just it speaks to the mood <laughs> that I've been feeling. I don't know. I just, I was it's, like, it's just, it every, really, it's just what I need. I don't know. It's really great to take that song and like a couple of the other ones on here 
on a run, if you're like, if you want to exercise, you want to really get like, really like want to like kick up your pace for a few, yep. like going from like floaty and having like a maintaining pace. And then that comes on with that like screeching guitar riff. You're like, Oh yeah, no, we're going to, we're going to push a little harder for the next two, three minutes. Yeah. Uh, track eight. Oh, George. This is probably the worst song on the record, and it's not a bad song. You're not wrong on both like of those counts. It's, <laughs> it's the least memorable song, but it's like the most, it, like it sounds Foo Fighters-y, but it's not, it, it's probably the song I would imagine they can't, they don't play the most. Just because it's, or maybe, maybe it's not as technical as some of the other ones, but it just doesn't have that like energy. It's a great think, song though. I think this one of the only we- ones that has a guitar solo. And we will get to another guitar uh, section in a couple of uh, songs here. But this means we can go quickly to my second favorite track on the album, For All the Cows, track number nine. I mean, at first, I honestly thought that this was his interpretation of what it felt like to do MTV Unplugged. You know, I, in a way, cow representing like cash cow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feeling like he is be- part of the, the music machine rather than being yeah. a, an artist and a creative and more like, okay, I'm a commercial success and that is a wholly different beast. But at the same time, it is hilarious <laughs> in its execution. <laughs> it's definitely one of the songs to me that is very quintessential to this record. This, yes. record doesn't, like, this record doesn't make sense to me without it. Otherwise, it's like, here's a handful of demos this one makes it an album and it's also like a it's just a it's also a great song but it's like it's one of the few that's like otherwise it's like okay here's here's a handful of like hit songs that i've been writing for 5 years as opposed to like a piece that i i'm i'm comfortable listening to on its own fully through Marissa if you had to choose between big me and for all the cows as kind of like your acoustic launch on this album which which one would you choose I would have went with the cows, man. There you go. There you go. Well, and you know what? And I think I think it's just it's a like to your point, like kind of the the mindset of like where 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 he was going. He was writing the song. Like the, it, it kind of it kind of says what the album does, right? Like I'm. It's kind of like this roller coaster ride between like you know soft and and heavy. We've been talking about this, and I just kind of think this song kind of puts that ties a bow on it you know because it's kind of saying like i'm i'm doing what i want <laughs> and you know i'm not gonna just you know i want to stay true to what who i am as an artist you know so you gotta go you gotta go with this you have one. to yeah mm-hmm. if, in my opinion if the record ended on that on song nine and <laughs> 10 through 12 and everything else that we know comes after on the b-sides came out together either later that year or later years years later I wouldn't be disappointed, but (laughs) let's go to track 10 because when we said this was a Dave Grohl solo project, we lied because this is the one and only instance where a feature comes in. It's the only time where one guitar track uh, is performed by Greg Dooley of Afghan Wings. I don't know which guitar line it is. Uh, That'd be something interesting to know. You know, Dave, if if you're listening, come on the show. <laughs> tell us your secrets. Tell, tell, tell us which guitar line it is. I want to know if it's the dun, 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 or if it's like just like a random like rhythm guitar section. So like, just let us know, you know, 
Do you think, Andrew, that this guitarist from Afghan Wiz, could he have fit in Foo Fighters long term? I don't know enough of their music. I've listened to maybe one or two records of theirs because I knew the name. I knew that he was on the first record. So I listened to a little bit of it. I, it didn't really stand out to me. I, it didn't really capture me the way Foo Fighters does. Probably not. Probably just like a buddy helping a buddy. Friend I have helping a pin. A I have a pin of theirs and that's as familiar as I am. I don't even know where I got it. <laughs> I love this song. This, well, is, then, this, is, this is definitely a great song. And I always whenever i listen to it i always think this is the end of the record okay it has a very like album ender feel Mm -hmm. and then watershed happens and i'm like oh yeah that's right we still have a couple other we still have like another great punk song water fred as some may refer to there is a version uh called water fred uh with uh improvised b52 style lyrics uh that is very funny but this song uh, as it is is also a very fun song. Another one, another good like energy pacer. Yes. Like this is one that I would, I can only imagine like when they played live shows in 1995 and 96, when this song happened, the mosh pits, like yeah. this is the mosh pit song. He's like, I need a song that works for mosh pits. Like <laughs> I know who my, who I'm playing to. They need mosh pits. They need mosh pit music. Like this needs to be that. Well, they saw it in the pyramid club. They're like, all right, we know what's going on at the pyramid yeah. club let's let's have a watershed moment you know we i also love that this like this is also the song that has like the most screaming Mm. like nonsense (laughs) lyrics (laughs) there's nothing like i don't know what the lyrics i can't understand them i know i could read them because they've been published i i can't understand the lyrics at all it just sounds like screaming into like a megaphone and you're standing (laughs) in front of the megaphone and it just sounds like noise and it's great I love that that's what it is. So how did you feel then when we got to Exhausted, track 12? I mean... Did you feel... I was, it was a, I, at that point, it was a roller coaster. <laughs> but this is also another great ending track. I, I, I love this track. This is such a good one. And it's... So it is super... It also, like, kind of captures... Sort of like This Is A Call. It captures it in the reverse uh, style, where This Is A Call is a very, like pop rocky type sound but it's got a little bit of noise this is a noise rock song that has very pop melody like this is another this is a song that's like oh this is you've got a great melody in the verses of exhausted but all of the guitars make you seem like oh this is like a what is what am i listening to right now right (laughs) right right marissa how did you feel about that song as the ending did you like that choice or would you've done it differently I mean, I like it for the ending. And I think, and I, think I, I honestly didn't think of it in the way that Andrew just explained it, but it, it, I, I kind of like that about it where it has like this more of a pop melody and then you have like the, the counterbalance, right? With like these heavier, heavier, you know, uh, sonically, you know, the heavier sounds. So I wouldn't change it. <laughs> because it it's the, the record we, we know to be what it is. I mean, this is yeah. what defines the beginning Dave went into the studio yes. and recorded, he recorded 15 songs. That's right. Not, not the 12 that we know. That's true. Those were just the first 12 that he recorded. The next three are B-sides. Uh, and the first one being Winnebago, mm-hmm. uh, which was a song that he had already recorded in 92 uh, for the late Pocket Watch record. 
just to, like another a, another thing that was supposed to be like Foo Fighters, just a thing that he put out and recorded all by himself. Uh, and it just didn't get popular. But once Nirvana became bigger and Foo Fighters became a thing, people started to notice it, uh, which I think is a great song. That's probably, I'm upset that that song's not on the record. Great vehicle as well. Yes, <laughs> it, it's, it is. Do you, do you know the songs? Do you know those songs very well? I mean, not as well as you. That's going to be the, the theme of this podcast is that I do not know the songs <laughs> as well as you. Oh, that I've listened to it 10 times more than you. That's right. That's right. Yes. At least 10 times more. But it's the but Winnebago, to talk about this specifically, it's the consistent theme of Dave Roll. It is the reckless abandon, sometimes controlled, sometimes not but it always leads to a nicely wrapped up ending. You know what I mean? Like every, every song of his, in my opinion, it, like, it, it, it brings you to a satisfactory finish, even if at the beginning it seemed like it's just, you know, yeah. blown your mind wide open. Yeah. Um, I do love the, the name of the second one. Uh, Podunk. <laughs> Podunk, yeah. I, I, I Podunk's like, another, that's, that's another, like, that's like another, it, that kind of fits in with the, the watershed yep. your you know weenie beanie that kind of like is like a if you were to re- like that's like a weenie beanie replacement maybe but if it, I, I i don't love it as much as weenie beanie but yeah, it, and that's why it it ordered the way it did yeah yeah uh, but then how i miss you was the yes. other was the other song that they did uh which is the definitely like the softest thing it was too soft i think it was definitely too soft to make the record yeah I agree. Until well, the end. Well, but then again, then again, I mean, Big Me for all the cows, it could have. Maybe. It could I have. Just, it could have. It could Nina, have. It could have. You know what? If you're listening to this and you disagree, you think that there's a version of this record that could have had How I Miss You or any of the other B-sides, send them to us. Uh, why don't we just use our music unsubscribed? Yeah, use use yeah. our Patreon. You know. Yeah, use our use our Patreon. Use we use we our. Uh, we've got we've got the Instagram. We've got the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, music unsub pod. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you if you listen if you have listened to music unsubscribed and this, thank you very much because you know those were made at very different times, very different goals, but still yeah. the three of us, and so we're glad yeah. that you're listening. Well, that is in our view, Foo Fighters 1995 release, originally by Dave Grohl, but it doesn't end there. 1997, the color and the shape happens. The band starts to get together and things start to really take shape. But that's for another episode. Yes. We're here talking about Foo Fighters 1995, and I think we've done a great job of dissecting it, explaining it, explaining how it's impacted us. And uh, I can't wait to uh, talk about the next record because it might be one of my favorites. Spoiler alert, I don't know about yours. Because <laughs> um, there's a lot of, like I said, based on where I started with the Foo Fighters, you know, I think it's checks off a lot of boxes for me but we will talk about it when we talk about it but this has been our first edition of walking after foo talking about the 1995 foo fighters record the beginning of an era on our way to album 10 medicine at midnight coming out february 5th 2021 so once again my name is peter my name is andrew i'm marissa thank you so much for listening you can listen to us on spotify apple music google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can listen to your podcasts please consider following us at music unsub pod that is our parent channel for all of our content and we can't wait to bring you more so thank you so much enjoy the rest of your day have a good one